Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Really good to be here today. Good place to be. And of course, doing something like this causes this reaction. My body gets racked with some nerves. My hands are sweaty. But beneath that is a current of gratitude that I know is a precious gift from participating in this practice. So with that undercurrent, it doesn't feel good to be nervous, but it gives a perspective where it's just like information. I obviously care. And if you just look at the feelings, be with them, kind of feels exciting. It kind of feels a little energetic. But of course, we'll see <laughs> what impacts it as what I have to say. This gratitude, what I refer to as the undercurrent, it's a very special thing because it can get caught in a nice perpetual loop. I begin to feel grateful that I'm feeling grateful. And that's a nice cycle to continue. I'm grateful to be alive today. And I know that because I haven't always felt that way. It's the, the polarity there that is able to put that into perspective. I'm grateful to be a human being. I mean, even with all of the craziness going on in the world, this isn't so bad. We've won the cosmic lottery to be able to have a go at this human experience. And this practice reminds me of that. And remembering that makes me feel grateful. There's gratitude for finding this practice, but perhaps most of all, there's gratitude with encountering the Dharma to, to find a teacher. This relationship that we have the opportunity to develop with somebody who embodies this, another precious, precious thing. So today is day one of Harvest Session. When we do this practice that I'm referring to, either attending session, 
maintaining a sitting practice. One of the things that comes as a byproduct of that, that we might notice is our preferences begin to soften. It's slow, but we might find that we can accept a situation more readily without feeling the need to meddle in it or to seek things we like or look to avoid all of the things we don't like. That equanimity comes with a form of radical acceptance. And that comes from doing what we do here. With that being said, softening is one thing. I have not experienced my preferences going away. I have many, many things that I prefer to do, and I do have lots of things that I try to avoid. But what's fortunate is I have an affinity towards harvest session. So it is a session that I look forward to. And when I was chewing on the idea what to talk about. I figured there's plenty of content just about this harvest session. Harvest session was the first session that I attended. So it feels as though there's some impression. It's like this cycle of time has been stained with this beginner's mind. If I said, I remember this first session like it was yesterday, you would know what I mean. But what it feels like is that I don't have to remember the session. I feel like the session, that first session is right now. It's still right in this moment. But that beginner's mind always seems to manifest itself during harvest session. And I, I don't know, we all deal with our self-centered perspectives on things. And for me, it seems like I'm self-affirming this. So here I am doing this um, for the first time during the CSS session. And I've been out of the building for a while. So yeah, everything feels new. After living here for year after year after year and doing all the sessions, you kind of steep in where things are supposed to be, how things are supposed to sound. If you've ever walked in your house after dark, you might even be able to navigate that space without the lights up. But if your partner, you know, moved all the furniture while you're away, you might find that you stub your toe a few times. So that's what I'm working with. And I know others have probably experienced that as well. So to be with what is, and to be put in this position where we're working as a community, give corrections, we're trying to work on some of these forms and traditions, we're always trying to refine them. To find yourself being like, no, is a beautiful reminder 
of beginner's mind. I also think it's a really deep well of free inspiration. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But to be inspired, to go a little deeper, sit up a little straighter, stay with our breath a little bit more attentively, that inspiration is free here to take. You don't have to steal it. So to see officers doing these roles for the first time, or maybe they've only done it once or twice, I find it inspiring. Just going for it, you know, sinking your teeth into something and maybe feeling a little nervous yourself. Lots of, so sorry. So I thank you for that inspiration. I know I'm working with a Chisha, an assistant that hasn't even been here. Now that's, it's a pretty groovy thing to do on your first session. The name Harvest Session. That's another thing I might have in Of all the things to call something, there's such a tethering. There's like an infusion that pierces into the natural world. And that gate that swings open is one that invites me to go in. The harvest. Human beings have not been able to live any way similar to what we do now without agriculture, without sowing and reaping food. Hunters and gatherers lived in smaller communities. They were nomadic and life was pretty tough. I'm looking around the room and I think most of us are pretty well past the life expectancy of hunters and gatherers. So there's something in our DNA, there's something in our collective consciousness that tethers us to this cycle of growing, collecting, and consuming this nourishment, this food that we have some ability to work with. I'm not sure there's any better parallel analogy, metaphor, simile, from what we do to this practice of agriculture. We sow seeds. Because we do this in a community, some of those seeds might have been from us and some of them might have been from somebody else working together to do this. And this whole practice cannot take place in a single generation. Like what we do here, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, generations of refinements, not this, that, 
not this, that. And like farming or gardening or whatever we're doing, you're not making that up. You're the whole idea of stick a seed in the ground and maybe it'll grow. I mean, it started somewhere. It took a long time to get to what it is now with all these GPS machines. We poke seeds in the ground. And after a few rainstorms, after the snow recedes, things emerge. It's like they come from nowhere. And then they're there. And we know it's fleeting, but we can look outside and say, where did that mighty maple tree came from a little tiny seed? So with the spring, they grow up and form. There's a period of bright sun, bright light that makes these little plants stand on their own. They become a little bit more hardy. Sometimes they even open up a little bit. And before we know it, they bear fruit. Coming from a family that has a farm, we have a tree farm. We don't eat the trees, but this idea of this ripening, they bear fruit or vegetables, and then they ripen. And it's so fleeting. That's what's going on this time of year. And if you reach out too soon, it's like it pulls away from the whole plant, kind of jostles a little bit. Of course, if we wait too long, that's no good either. They, they fall off the plant. But when the moment is just right, it's like you reach for the tomato and it's like the tomato reaches back for you, it just releases. This name, this harvest, I, I would, I'm not much of a poet, but I think I would come up short trying to find a better practice to label it. It's a lot of work. The work comes from the fleeting nature of that ripeness. It's here and then it's gone. When Shinge Roshi gave the session opening remarks, she didn't say, now I hope you guys all have a good time. <laughs> I hope you get some good rest and it's really wonderful and you can have this relaxation to bring back to work. No, she embodied the urgency. Sometimes you have to pick vegetables through the night. They're right. They need the immediate reaction, the instantaneous response. 
And that urgency is something that we can be inspired to do. But once we've collected the food, that's what we do. We go out with baskets and we collect the food. For me, the thing that we do next is actually the most intimate thing that a living being can do. When we consume the harvest, when we join in the harvest feast, most intimate. Some of you might have been thinking of something else that's more intimate that we do. But it's not. When we consume this harvest, we literally become one with it. A physical embodiment of taking food and putting it inside ourselves. And this subject and object coming together. It doesn't require any thinking. It doesn't require any intention. We don't have to like tell our body how to digest. Once it comes in, it breaks down into macronutrients, minerals, micronutrients. It actually becomes our flesh and blood, and bones, brain tissue. It is this miraculous thing that goes on when we eat. The practice and the forms that we do here hold space and condition for us to experience that for ourselves. We pick our bowls up with two hands and we, we lift the food up. And we might we could just give it a wave, like, hey, me, I'm looking at my future self. And after we eat lunch, we say, past, present, future, all together in what we're doing. And of course, we have these wonderful Tenzos and assistant Tenzos and the folks that go shopping, grow our food, that we're eating even seasonal vegetables from this area. So it's even a little easier to just participate in that process. So there's plenty of other things to talk about in this session, but that spirit of reaping and sowing and 
seeing that maturation. That's something that has always meant a lot to me. But we, of course, have a Jukai, the folks taking the precepts. That's a wonderful activity to participate in. It always feels as though we all take our precepts again when that takes place. And there's something special about a five-day session. It's only two of those on our schedule this year. And if you've been around for a while, you might even have heard the criticism of something like that. We might even have participated in it. Ten studies says I shouldn't do five. Should be seven days or longer. Shouldn't get up at five a.m. We should get up at three a.m. Six seven days. I understand where that comes from. But there's an opportunity to engage with these things differently. There's an opportunity to develop a relationship with something that is fleeting. It's easy to feel that something is precious when it's finite. So I don't know about you, but left to my own devices, it can take three or four days to surrender, to let go. I have a pretty stubborn body-mind here that I've been working on for quite some time. So I'll let it drag me for a few days before I just let go. You could imagine that that might leave you feeling a little wanting if right after we touch this heart-mind, there's bells going off and it's time to eat and leave. It's like if you hiked most of the way up a mountain and had to turn around before going to the top, it does. Tip-top, tip-top. So for that reason, and I hope I can convey this or share this, but for that reason, after doing a few five-day sessions, there's a few tools that we can bring to this abbreviated schedule. sure everyone can move. <laughs> the first one you've already figured out. You're here. So getting, getting in your car or walking or however you got here, it worked. The five-day session just opens the door a little bit for our households, 
for our folks that travel long distances to be able to do a full session, start to end, and have time to travel. It feels really nice to be able to offer that. So that's one perspective. And getting here and being here is that first tool. But there's a certain energy that we can cultivate or realize that it's already there. Start to notice that it's being offered around Shinge Roshi again and again and again. Wake up, wake up, she said when the session started. This. There's a certain, in Japanese, the word is genki. Now, I don't speak Japanese, but I've been around long enough to pick up a word or two. Genki. So the gen, the key is energy. The gen is pet, vitality, fresh. So this genki energy and seeing where that comes from allows us to go into the session, go into each sit with our death in mind. Not ruminating over it, like we're drafting wills and testament, but <laughs> this unknowing, this idea that we do know that we're going to die. So why not bring that to this breath? Could be the last. Bow at the Zendo door. Last time. Last time. I refer to it as a tool, probably because I'm a Zomo. <laughs> we think of things in terms of tools. But we have to know when to put the tool down to. You don't drive nails with a screwdriver and things like that. This morning in the Diamond Sutra, what did the Buddha say? The Buddha said, uh, it's like a rat takes you across the water, but then you must relinquish it. You don't carry the boat or the raft with you up the side of the mountain. You use it for when it's appropriate. So if you're feeling tired, soon I'll be dead. <laughs> if your knee hurts, invite it in. Gently ask for some of the other Sangha members' pain. See what happens. What seems like the dogs are barking in your knee. Just breathe into it. And it reminds me of my dog. She runs out in front of the house. And I don't want her there because that's where the gate is. And you guys drive too fast through the gate. <laughs> if you try to go and get her, Good luck. She's a quadruped. 
But if I open the front door and the back door, she runs right through the house. <laughs> Just the idea of that back door being open, she comes in and she goes out. Then you shut the front door and problem is solved. <laughs> These tools, these ideas to find where that energy comes from, we can't put it on. You can't fake it till you make it. When I feel the finite nature of things, it just it awakens itself. All of a sudden, just like the nervousness I'm still feeling. It's exciting. It's oh, what's next? That's the beginner's mind. That's the staying in time, is that when all the instruments are going on and you know what they mean, that's okay. But it's not as exciting as not knowing what they mean. <laughs> Something goes off. What is this? Oh, we're running. <laughs> oh, I guess it's time for a meal. But it's playful. Instead of punching over, our tensors are doing such a good job. Instead of punching over, oh, I'm so tired. Thank you. Eat the hungry ghost. Just an opportunity to first the last time eating vegetables. So you'll notice we sit up. Chikamro, she says this every time he gets a chance. We bring the food up and we eat briskly. We don't do the mindfulness, raise and roll in our mouth. It moves pretty quick, but it's not slobbing. It's brisk, it's clean. It's got a little pep to it, but make sure you chew. It's very difficult to gauge from up here how much I should be drinking the tea. So I just, just trying to keep the space down. These five day sessions can invite us to start to develop a relationship with Yasin. And I want to be really careful about this. I'm not sure I'm skillful enough to walk this tightrope. But we have to hold two truths in our heart. For some of our brothers and sisters, and Sangha members, sleep is our practice. Rest is practice. It's not an athletic endeavor. It's not a competition. And yet, you can really motivate yourself to see if your boundaries are further than you thought or maybe they don't even exist. 
Yaza is the practice of unstructured zazen, of sitting outside the schedule. On our schedule, at the end of the day, it says the sendo is open for zuiza, yaza zuiza. I'll get too detailed with the term. Same thing, sitting outside the schedule. When I first came here, that sounded like a pretty bad idea. <laughs> My first case, we had a lounge. We called it the Monk's Lounge. It's not here anymore. <laughs> Maybe it'll be back today. <laughs> I was down there probably eating popcorn. And a young monk came downstairs. He said, Brian, would you like to go sit Yaza or Zuiza or Zazen? I can't remember what I said, but it's safe to assume I was a smartass. <laughs> sure, I'll meet you there. You go first. <laughs> and it's okay to be playful and to joke around, but what am I really doing? I'm hiding something some insecurity that feels more congenial or affable to make a joke about than to say what I was really feeling. I came here broken. Spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, bankrupt. I did not come to Daivasatsu Sendo because things were going swell. So I was being bombarded with failure. Just a perpetual rainstorm of, oh, the bell is going off. Like, fail to get up, fail to make it on time, fail to sit still, fail to do whatever you're doing with the rice and the chopsticks. Fail, 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 fail. And I'm a competitive guy. I come from athletics and trying to use you as an interactive mechanism to help me come further. It's not much different than cooperation. I'm not trying to put you down. I want you to get up at four, so I get up at 3.45. And then if you show up at 3.45, pretty soon we're not going to bed because that, that interaction helps inspire. So I felt pretty bad when he said that because there was no way, no way to jiu-jitsu, signals to jokey, to go out and play the Han. And I'm in my seat going, hurry. <laughs> Are you playing that slower than you're supposed to? It's <laughs> time for bed. So what he said next was the type of crushing that we do to each other here. He said, Brian, the whole schedule, Kese, session, 
The whole schedule is built to get you to the starting point of Zuiza. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the case. But he was planting seeds. There was a lot of skill there. That might not even be true. <laughs> thing about skillful means is sometimes you're not being accurate. <laughs> but it was there. The first time that process went on, Joke offers plants, moves outside, and I thought, is that me? Just got here. Knew what to do. Circle right back in there. And that monk was there when I got there. When I had sufficiently procrastinated enough in preparation for this talk, which, <laughs> sorry, um, I went to see a monk who might know what I was supposed to do ceremonially. And he presented me with a note from a dear friend that's not with us anymore. Jisho-san had wrote, bow, offer, bow, offer, back, bow, offer, back, you know, wrote this out. And just seeing her handwriting, There's a new marker stone that we just placed in Santa Meta. If you haven't seen it, But in her last sessions at DBZ, she sat and sat and sat. And it awakens that I am not going to bed if Chisho sits. Support. It's support. It sounds like individualized identity, but I'm actually feeding off the inspiration that's freely being given. I hope that makes sense. Sometimes it's egoistic competition, but not always. I was sitting with somebody who was actively dying. We're all actively dying. But when somebody knows that there's not many grains of sand in the top part of their hourglass, she was so still. Not a statue. Living, breathing stillness. And when I talk about having discernment, she might have been one of the people that could have just gone to sleep. Probably best. 
Well, who am I to judge? Just kept sitting. And one night, I think it was just her and I, she got up and she went into the Jashari. Now, I'm trying to play it cool, right? Just wait for her to get out of sight, and then I'll leave. I won't look like I'm in a rush. I go, she said, still do things like that. But I heard the familiar sound. Sound of Jisha knows very well. She was into the Zoljarushi, <laughs> the hot tea machine. I thought to myself, there's ginger tea in it. So I got it. And we are taught, we are reminded in our session cautions not to engage with people, not to make eye contact and start conversations, look to be seen. This is a practice that is easy to fake for the introvert. It's excruciating for the extra extrovert. I have been smacked for that so many times, and I just thank you, thank you. But I want some echo. I really need you to co-conspire in my state of mind, where the introvert wants to look like a good Zen student anyway. I want to say good morning. <laughs> so I was on my best behavior. Wasn't time for that. But I have to really truck. So I walked in to have my ginger tea. I like awkwardly faced the wall, not paying attention to it. I have no idea what time. But we did, I'm just squaring up. It was natural. And she didn't say a word, but something happened. Something that I was holding, didn't know that I was holding, fell away. And it was heavy enough that when the chain went taut, pulled my body with it, my mind fell through the hole. She didn't say anything. She just stood there drinking tea. But because she was so thoroughly unafraid of something, no fear. It just gave me permission to be unafraid for a moment too. It's moments like that that are the reason why I know that she's not gone. I understand that she's still 
asking me to fix her CPAP machine or whatever she was doing. She's still. That session, she gave a Dharma talk. Here's somebody who's got the news. The news is not good, depending on how you view it. She knows it's the final stretch. And she stood up here, or sat here, and it's like she addressed what we didn't talk about. She said, I'm going to miss you guys. But I'm kind of excited. Oh, my God. She said, it was this practice, my relationship with Shingiroshi, that taught me that not knowing is the most intimate. Then start speaking in a long stretch, finding a way to round third myself. Tens of us need time. <laughs> everything we do here, everything we do is to wake up. Roshi and other Dharma teachers, Roshi and Shri Roshi and other Dharma teachers remind us again and again and again, don't wait for later, don't waste a moment. Now, learn how to take this form, not as some oppressive list of things to do and areas to ensnare you with getting in trouble. It's just a guideline. Something for you to bounce up against to see what's there. Because that waking up is going to be seeing your nature. There's something eclipsing it, like the moon yesterday. So it's not self-help. We're not going to learn some new trick here at Zen Camp to bring somewhere else. It is, it requires guts. It is a, like a bridge coming down. It can be a little ugly, it can smell bad. <laughs> but everything we do here, every moment, what is this? What is this? How is this agriculture, this rule of where we plant, and what row things go in, when we water, and all of those things, that's what they're there for. We're telling you, giving you that for free. <laughs> But the proper understanding is paramount. When the Buddha gave the Eightfold Path, he started with right understanding. I wasn't there, so I don't know if he went in no particular order. <laughs> I don't think so. I think right understanding is first, 
the problem is with upside down thinking is that we're doing a lot of overstanding. Ido Roshi loved the word understanding. I heard him talk about it multiple times in the short time we practiced together. And then it's come up in books and older teachings. As a non-native English speaker, English as a second language, understand was a beautiful compound word. Right understanding. You might imagine that you got to bow to get under. But it doesn't say under bowing. So you have to stand up. We use the cliche again and again and again. It's a finger pointing at the moon. It's just as good as agriculture or harvest. We had this beautiful full moon yesterday. Somebody points at it. They don't want you to look at their finger or analyze it. Give me some criticism. You find it too fast. They used to point out. They want you to turn and face the moon and understand it. If you're, once you get under, if you're still in, comes down over you, envelopes you. And if there's anything that you're presented with here, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to overstand it. If somebody says, pick your teacup up with two hands, and you say, oh, wow, that person's really going at it today. But just steep in it. Just keep doing it. And something comes up. I was working on the electric panel, and I learned that you're not supposed to touch the electric panel with two hands, because when you do, it grounds through your heart. If you touch it with one hand, so the next time I go to pick up my teacup, and I'm not telling you what that means, just pick it up with two hands, but the next time I did that, I thought about something that you engage with this way, grounding through your heart center. And there was just a little bit of understanding. Everything we do. So, thank you for showing up. I really, really do care about this place. And when nobody's here, it's not the same. So it's not the building. It must be you guys. Thank you. Find that energy and participate in this harvest. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.